Greetings, my friends, and welcome to another weekly edition of the Royal Ramble, live from the comfort of your own homes, your cars, or wherever else you happen to be listening to this. It's been a crazy busy weekend for wrestling fans, hasn't it? Crazier still if you happen to also be a fan of FIFA or sports in general, as I know that the UFC had another show last night. And of course, as I referenced, the FIFA World Cup is underway in Qatar. And then what about the non-wrestling shows as well? You've got Yellowstone on tonight, as well as The White Lotus. The final season of Dead to Me is on Netflix as well. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever is still a hot ticket in theaters. And from what I hear, people are still spending hours at a time on a daily basis playing God of War Ragnarok. What a time it is to be alive. But the topic of this show is wrestling, and that's what I'm going to focus on. I have a pretty big show today with a review, a preview, and a forecast, so I won't waste any more time. Actually, first, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention some of the other wrestling shows going on this weekend. I haven't yet seen the Japan shows or GCW, so I'll get to those in time. I did, however, catch the Impact Overdrive event, and I have to say they hit it out of the park again. I won't go into too much detail because I know that there aren't many Impact fans in this group, so I'll quickly run through the highlights. But I have to say that this promotion has made tremendous improvements in the last year, so I urge you to check out at least one show in the near future. Much like Bound for Glory last month, I thought the first half was just okay, but nothing in particular to write home about, although there was a pretty good tag match on the countdown show between the Motor City Machine Guns and Bullet Club, represented by Ace Austin and Chris Bay. I did kind of feel like they did more to push stories for the next event rather than focusing their efforts on this one. So it was kind of overbooked in that sense, but I still enjoyed it for the most part. Moose has actually been a really pleasant surprise this year. He's improved tremendously himself and had a pretty decent table match with Bully Ray. I feel like they didn't let a lot of moments breathe, though. Right after Mickie James saved her career by beating Taylor Wilde, she was already interrupted by her next challenger, Deanna Perrazzo. And in the tag title match, it seemed like the focus was more on the guns as the next challengers instead of in the actual match happening in real time. The last two matches were just unbelievable. Jordan Grace and Masha Slamovich really almost duplicated their performance at Bound for Glory, but I still thought the Bound for Glory match was better. The main event between Josh Alexander and Frankie Kazarian was also solid, but the theme of the show seemed to be pushing things forward with a little overbooking. Bully Ray immediately came out to challenge Josh to a match at Hard to Kill on January 13th, only to blindside attack Alexander right after, and Alexander basically joined the long list of dumb baby faces by letting his guard down. There was a pretty strong angle where Bully zip-tied Alexander's hand to the bottom rope and then grabbed Alexander's wife right out of her ringside seat and was threatening to powerbomb her on the concrete floor. I'm glad that they didn't actually end up doing that because that would have been overkill, but I think this story will eventually lead to Josh's wife going through a table at some point, hopefully before Hard to Kill to get more heat on Bully Ray. Basically, Josh ended up breaking free of his zip tie, but he had been softened up too much to get his hands on Bully, who mercifully let Jade go to end the show. Like I said, if this angle doesn't lead to Jade going through a table before the pay-per-view, that would be a missed opportunity in my opinion. But that was Friday night, and we are now going to shift into full gear. The AEW pay-per-view happened just last night, and I am in a very reviewing mood right now, so let's get started. Opening the show was the cage match between former partners Jungle Boy Jack Perry and Luchasaurus. 
I have to say that I felt the feud between Jungle Boy and Christian really jumped the shark after the terrible angle at the last pay-per-view, but they nearly won me back with this match. I thought it was a great way to kick off the pay-per-view, and I applaud the fact that Luchasaurus didn't really do his typical athletic moves. Instead, he was doing all the power moves while Jungle Boy was doing more of the high-flying. Actually, I mentioned this in last weekend's episode, but Luchasaurus reminds me a lot of Abyss, and this match was very reminiscent of the classic TNA cage match between AJ Styles and Abyss, so I thoroughly enjoyed it. Jungle Boy executed a bit of a hit-and-run strategy in the early going, but Lucha eventually caught him and lawn-darted him into the cage, which busted him open, and the blood continued to flow for the majority of the match. I also really appreciated that this was really the only match involving color. Well, there were a couple of others, but those ones weren't really intentional. Christian tried to get involved and somehow got possession of the key to the cage door, so he unlocked it and was then dragged away by security. The two participants did some moves on the outside of the cage before returning to the ring. In the end, it was Jungle Boy who exploded with a flurry of offense, first jumping off a chair to hit a destroyer to the big man, and then Christian's move, the kill switch. JB then set Lucha up on a table and scaled to the very top of the structure to deliver a huge elbow drop that almost didn't break the table, which could have been disastrous. Jungle Boy then finished Luchasaurus off with the snare trap for the quick tap out. I kind of like that he won by submission instead of going for a pin after the elbow spot, as this was much more decisive. The Elite are back, ladies and gentlemen. I wasn't quite prepared for the ovation that they received, but these are kind of their people, so perhaps I shouldn't have been surprised. They were in the next match against Death Triangle for the trios titles, which we would later find out would be the first match of a best-of-seven series. Not quite sure how I feel about that, but the matches should be very entertaining. The Elite team came out to the song Carry On by Kansas, and I didn't really get the reference there if there was some kind of significance behind that. The crowd almost immediately started chanting FCM Punk, so I guess they've chosen a side of the fence to stand on. This match was really just what you would expect. It was very fast-paced and energetic. There was a great exchange of different variations of kicks between the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. The story of the match was that Pac kept trying to convince Phoenix to use this hammer on his opponent, but Phoenix kept refusing. However, eventually Phoenix realized that he didn't have a choice as his team was in danger of losing, so as Omega loaded him up for the one-winged angel, Phoenix blasted him in the forehead with the hammer and cradled him into a victory roll for the surprising win. Jade vs. Nyla Rose was up next for the TBS title. I think the best thing about Jade's pay-per-view matches is what kind of outfit she'll be wearing, and she didn't disappoint. She basically paid tribute to the Shitara character from Thundercats, which looked pretty cool. Nyla actually hit Jade's own finisher, Jaded, at one point, but Jade kicked out and then responded with a pump kick and her own version of Jaded for the clean win. The match that I was most looking forward to was the next one for the ROH World title. It was a four-way match between JAS members Chris Jericho, the defending champion, and Sammy Guevara, and Blackpool Combat Club members Claudio Casagnoli and Brian Danielson. As impressive as the actual in-ring quality was here, I think I was more impressed with the storytelling, where basically Jericho was trying to use Sammy as a patsy to do his dirty work for him, while allowing himself to get the pin. There was one spot where Sammy hit Danielson with a Spanish fly, and without hesitation, Jericho executed a lion salt on top of both opponents. Later on, Jericho hit the codebreaker on Castagnoli, only for Sammy to break up the pin. 
They finally hugged it out, or so we thought. Actually, Sammy suckered Jericho in and drilled him with the GTH, and then followed up with a shooting star press for a near fall. The finish came when Claudio was swinging Sammy, and Jericho broke that up with a torpedo headbutt, and then a Judas effect to Claudio to keep his title. Soraya made her return to in-ring competition in the next match after five years. She took on Dr. Britt Baker. I didn't think it was a great in-ring match, but once again, the storytelling made up for it. Britt immediately started targeting Soraya's surgically repaired neck and also began to taunt Soraya's brother sitting at ringside. Soraya came back, and in the end, she hit two rampage moves, although I can't recall the new name for those, but it earned her the victory. The triple threat between the big boys was up next. It was for the TNT title, with Wardlow being challenged by powerhouse Hobbs and ROH TV champion Samoa Joe. Wardlow successfully fought off both heels in the early going. He actually hit a whisper in the wind at one point to both opponents in the ring. On the floor, Hobbs shoulder-blocked Joe into the guardrail, leaving Wardlow for himself. But Wardlow quickly regained the advantage, and as he was about to put Hobbs away with a powerbomb symphony, Joe re-entered the ring and leveled Wardlow with the TV title. He then applied the Kakina clutch to Hobbs, who quickly faded, and Joe is, I believe, the first double champion in AEW. I must say that was a pretty surprising outcome. Chris Jericho was interviewed up next. He says he expected that kind of competition out of Sammy Guevara tonight. Jericho was then interrupted by Orange Cassidy, who said he's here to issue a challenge on behalf of one of his friends, who also happens to be a former ROH champion, Tomohiro Ishii, for this coming week on Dynamite. Jericho said Ishii reminds him of a young boy who used to carry his bags and get him coffee back in the day, and he has no problem accepting the challenge. When Jericho leaves, Hager asks Orange what he has on the bag, so Orange pulls out the All-Atlantic title and says if Hager likes it, he should try to take it next week. Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett come out for the next match against Sting and Darby Allin. Suddenly, a body bag appears on the entrance ramp, and as Lethal approaches it, he's blasted with smoke, and then Darby explodes out of the entrance tunnel and attacks Lethal with the skateboard. Sting then appears behind Jarrett, and they renew their rivalry. Darby later has Jarrett set up on a table near the entrance and tries a coffin drop off a ladder, but Satnam Singh catches him and plants him on the ramp with a modified razor's edge. Sting then traps Lethal in the Scorpion Deathlock, but Satnam once again interferes and drills Sting with a choke slam. As Darby tries the coffin drop on Lethal in the ring, he's met in midair with a guitar shot to the back of the head from Jarrett. There was a pretty good spot where Sting tries the Scorpion Death Drop on Satnam, but Satnam is too big, so Darby provides the assist with a coffin drop as part of the sequence. The end comes when Lethal tries for the Lethal Injection, but Sting counters into a Scorpion Death Drop, and then Darby follows up with a Coffin Drop for the final three count. Even though the right guy got the pin here, I felt that the wrong guy took the pin, so I'm torn. Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter for the women's title is up next. The fans were solidly behind Hayter even before this match began. I don't get it. I mean, she is good, but what's different about her than everyone else? Reba tries a run-in at one point, but is almost immediately ejected. Tony also had a bloody nose, and I missed how that happened, but it didn't look pleasant. Tony is sent out to the floor, and as the ref is holding Hater back, Britt comes out and delivers a stop to Tony into her own title belt. She tosses Storm into the ring, and Hater tries to finish her with her own move, Storm Zero, but only gets two. The crowd couldn't have been more in support of Hater at this point. She was incredibly over for some reason. 
Britt gets up on the apron and Tony collides with her. Hater then sends Tony face first into the exposed turnbuckle and plants her with what she calls Haterade, which is basically just a ripcord clothesline to win the title. Another title match is second from the top, this one for the tag team titles, with the acclaimed defending against Swerve in our glory. I don't know if Bowens was working the match hurt or if he was just selling an injured arm, but Swerve immediately went after the injury in the early going. The match was pretty good, except for this one poison Rana spot to Lee that looked terrible. Lee actually had to shift his weight in order for the move to be executed. It did not look good. At one point, Swerve positioned one of the guardrails as a bridge from the ring to another guardrail, and Caster hit a big spot with a crossbody to Lee on top of the horizontal guardrail. Strickland then pulled out the infamous pliers, but then Billy Gunn came running down. Once Billy was taken away from ringside, Swerve handed Lee the pliers to use. When Lee refused, Swerve just about slapped the taste out of his mouth, similar to Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant at WrestleMania VI. Instead of retaliating, Lee simply just walked out of the match, leaving Swerve to go it alone against both members of the acclaimed, which ended up being too much for him. They loaded him up and planted him with their double-team finisher for the win. For those of you who weren't already in a wrestling coma, it was then time for the main event between John Moxley and MJF for the world title. There was a nasty spot early on where MJF had difficulty getting Moxley up, but eventually did to plant him with a tombstone onto the ring apron. And it looked like MJF had hurt his knee, though I'm not sure if it was legit or if he was just doing a masterful job of selling it. He did seem to be okay afterwards. Much like the women's title match, this crowd was clearly in favor of its hometown hero MJF, and Moxley was playing total heel in this match, flipping off the fans at one point. I don't know if that was such a good idea, especially considering how this one ended. There was a table set up at ringside, and Moxley planted MJF through it with a pile driver off the ring apron. But then, for some reason, the referee started counting. So basically, there are countouts, but apparently no disqualification. Moxley also hit a paradigm shift from the top rope for a close near fall. As Moxley attempted a running attack, MJF pulled referee Bryce Remsburg in his path. MJF then pulled out the diamond ring to use, but William Regal showed up at ringside and talked him out of it. But then as a second referee came out and was also knocked down, Regal passes a pair of brass knuckles to MJF, who clocks Moxley and wins the title. So we've yet another new world champion on a pretty decent show. Honestly, I think MJF should have gone over clean, but the important thing is that he won the belt, so can't really be too disappointed. I think it's safe to say that this weekend was incredible, but it doesn't have to end here. Will next weekend follow suit? Well, if you're a WWE fan, you might think so. They have their big Survivor Series event next Saturday in Boston, and it will have a War Games theme. It isn't quite the same, though, without William Regal, is it? Anyway, it looks like a stacked card, starting with the women's war games match. Bailey's team is complete with Dakota Kai, Io Sky, Nikki Cross, who is back to her former self, and Rhea Ripley, who is apparently on loan from Judgment Day. They'll be taking on the team of Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, Asuka, Mia Yim, and a fifth partner who is yet to be named. There is a lot of speculation as to who it might be. Many people seem to think Sasha Banks might be on her way back, and I've heard the name Candice LeRae passed around. Candice has been noticeably absent from Raw in recent weeks, so I'm not sure what her status is, but honestly, I think if she were named as the final teammate, it might seem kind of underwhelming. 
given that she has already been on Raw, and I don't know why they would wait until the go-home show to reveal that. Personally, I think it might be Becky Lynch, as you want that huge pop for the final push for Survivor Series. Plus, she has unfinished business with damage control. Now, how we book this one is a whole different story. There are multiple directions to go. I don't think it would be wise to bring Becky back just to lose her first match, but you also want to set up Bianca's next challenger, who I think may be Rhea Ripley based on their recent interaction and how well Ripley has been protected. I think the heel team will go over here, probably with Rhea getting the clean win over Bianca. But I do expect Becky to get a big spot to take Bailey out with a move off the cage or something, so those two branch off into their own feud. AJ Styles and Finn Balor are also set to do battle, and it should be a good one. I just don't know if I would have booked it for Survivor Series. I think this is a match they probably could have stretched out until Mania, given their history. I'd hate to see AJ lose yet another match, so I'd probably have him go over. And then you do the post-match beatdown of AJ by Judgment Day, who engage in a huge brawl with the OC. They've been teasing a match as well between LA Knight and Bray Wyatt. I don't buy Wyatt as a babyface, but Knight is a fantastic heel and has a lot of potential. I just don't know how I feel about this one. It is Bray's first match since his return, so I'd probably have him go over. I think when Knight has things in control, the lights will go out, and then when they come back on, Bray is in the ring, staring down Knight, only it isn't Bray, it's the Fiend. This freaks Knight out. He tries to escape through the crowd, only to be stopped at every corner by one of the life-size Funhouse characters, so he ends up back in the ring, and Wyatt puts him away with the mandible claw and then celebrates with his family afterwards. Another thing that I'd expect on this show is the finals of the World Cup, though it hasn't really been announced yet. You'd assume we'd get a Strowman versus Escobar final, considering that they're teasing Strowman as the next challenger for Gunther, but I actually think Imperium will cost Strowman his semi-final match this coming week, leading to Ricochet and Escobar in the finals. If Vince were booking, you'd just know we'd have a decisive U.S. victory. But I think Escobar is the guy to strap the rocket to, and he has a character, and Ricochet doesn't. I think it will be a strong match, but Escobar goes over. The SmackDown women's title match doesn't do much for me. I like Shotzi, but they clearly haven't learned a thing from the booking of Liv Morgan, and it seems that they are booking Shotzi the exact same way as the underdog. And Ronda hasn't been involved with anything that I've particularly enjoyed all year. I think her entire comeback has been an epic failure. That said, I can't see Shotzi going over here in any way, which is the main problem I have with this match. I think Ronda will end up squashing her and immediately submitting her to the ankle lock. Shotzi taps, but Ronda refuses to release the hold. Raquel comes out, but Shayna takes her down, but then Shayna herself shows compassion and tries to get Ronda to break the hold. Ronda refuses, and then Shayna shoves her off, so those two have a stare down. The men's war games match will likely close the show, and honestly, I find the actual match very underwhelming if you consider all the times that the Bloodline has defeated each member of the Brutes in individual matches. So why is this one any different? It should be a good match, though, I think. I can see the end come where the babyfaces get the advantage, and as Drew has a dazed Roman targeted for the Claymore, Sammy quickly shoves Reigns out of the ring and ends up taking the bullet for his tribal chief which leads to the Brawling Brutes victory, and I think we're finally getting the bloodline turning on Sammy on the following SmackDown, basically blaming him for the loss, even though he saved Roman. 
So then we have the Royal Rumble as the next WWE event at the end of January. Here's what I would book in this week's fantasy forecast. Roman Reigns versus a babyface Sami Zayn for the WWE Universal Championship. As much as I'd love to see Sami be the one to win the title and have his big moment on the big stage at WrestleMania, I think it's more wishful thinking on my part, and I just can't see it happening, unless Roman is still champion by next year's Mania, which I doubt. I can, however, see the team of Sami and Kevin facing and probably beating the Usos at WrestleMania for the tag team titles, which I think might just be as important. Ronda Rousey versus Shayna Baszler for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair versus Rhea Ripley for the Raw Women's Championship. I think this is the match where we get the return of Beth Phoenix to cost Ripley, or they have Beth show up as a surprise in the Rumble match later to eliminate Rhea. Gunther versus Braun Strowman for the Intercontinental Championship. The Usos versus the Paul Brothers for the Tag Team Championships. And then, of course, the men's and women's Rumble matches, which I've heard rumors that they both may include 40 participants this year. I think for the women's, I would put Becky and Bailey as the first two entrants, and Austin Theory would get the final spot in the men's Rumble. So that wraps up another week. I will be back next week with a full recap of Survivor Series War Games, so stay tuned. Happy Sunday, and I'll catch you next time. A-B-C-Y-A!